0: As mentioned, the text which we'll be focusing on is 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll, read, uh, we'll, be, we'll be focusing on verses 1 through 5. We won't read those again just now, uh, but we will be working through them over the course of the sermon, so you would probably be helped by having your Bibles open to those verses. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, if you remember from last week, Peter's main exhortation, we just saw it in the text as well in in 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Uh, Peter's exhortation to the churches there, uh, to whom he was writing, was, Do not be surprised that this fiery trial is coming upon you. Uh, The church at that time was experiencing the beginning of of the first waves of official persecution uh, against the church. Uh, persecution that would really mark the next two or three centuries of the church's existence. Uh, And so Peter urges the church, don't be surprised when this is coming upon you. Uh, Many were already losing their jobs, their homes, and in some cases even their lives for the sake of Christ. Uh, Instead of being surprised, uh, he, he tells them, you need to see this. As, as the beginning of God's judgment on the world. We saw that in uh, verse uh, 17. If it is time for the judgment to begin, where will it start? It will start with the household of God. If God judges the world, He begins with His people to purify them, to chasten them. It's a different kind of judgment than the world will receive, and yet the heat uh, may feel the same. Uh, you, you will be chastened, you will be purified during this season of suffering. Uh, and therefore, he, he writes to the church, therefore let those who suffer entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing good. Uh, so if you're not suffering because uh, you're, you're doing evil, uh, he mentions thieves, murderers, or meddlers, if that's not the reason why you're suffering, if you're suffering truly for the name of Christ, then you can entrust yourself to a faithful creator while doing good. Well, our text then this morning, which you can see is addressed particularly to the elders of the church, our text really flows out of that uh, instruction. Uh, You can see that these these verses are connected because uh, chapter 5, verse 1 begins with the word therefore, or uh, as your translation may have it, the word so. Uh, But it's the same word in the Greek, therefore, so there's a connection. Uh, Let those who who suffer entrust themselves to God while doing good. And his first application then is to the elders. What's this going to look like for the elders? This is important because if the church goes through seasons of suffering, it's going to be particularly painful for the elders, for the leadership of the church. Uh, and, and if, as Peter says, if judgment begins with the household of God, then within the household of God, it will probably begin with the leaders of the household of God. If God is, is, is going to purify the church through a season of affliction and a season of suffering, the elders in particular can expect to be chastened, uh, can expect to feel some of the heat of, of that trial. Uh, in fact, Peter here, he, he's actually working with an idea that was revealed in, in the prophecy of Ezekiel, something God spoke through, through Ezekiel, where he said that judgment would begin in, with the household of God. Uh, there God is uh, speaking to the, the angel of, of judgment who's coming to the land of Israel to judge them. Uh, and, and he says to the angel, begin at my sanctuary." Uh, And and then the text says in the next verse, And therefore, uh, the angels began with the elders who were before the house. It begins with the household of God, and within the household of God, it will begin with the leaders, the elders of the house. Uh, And and you see this in the world as well. You see this not only in history, uh, but you see it around the world today. You look at the churches in China right now that are experiencing uh, persecution. And, and who are the ones being put in jail? It is the, the pastors and the elders. Uh, they are being put through the crucible of, of God's uh, furnace, as it were, to, to purify them, uh, to, to chasten them. Uh, and so Peter has a special word here for them. Uh, and he says, verse 1, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. You see that main, the main exhortation there? I exhort the elders, shepherd the flock. During this season of trial, you must shepherd your flock. A couple of just uh, introductory comments about about this. First, it's good to notice here in this text that uh, the the Lord Jesus and the apostles uh, teach us consistently that the church is to have a plurality of elders. Uh, It's a point that uh, may seem obvious, but a point that's lost upon much of the the contemporary Christian church. Uh, The church is, of course, ultimately ruled by one pastor, one Uh, One leader, which is Jesus Christ, the senior pastor of the church. Uh, He he calls himself the good shepherd. Uh, But under him, he has given shepherds to lead his church. And the pattern everywhere in, in the New Testament is a plurality of elders. Uh, This was, in fact, the pattern even before the New Testament in the Jewish synagogues. uh, The synagogues, too, were led by a plurality of elders. Uh, And so that pattern is carried over into the Christian church, and it's a very important pattern to maintain. The church is not ruled by one head pastor uh, unless we're referring to Jesus Christ. Uh, The church on earth uh, is is led and guided always by, by a plurality of elders, among whom the teaching elder or, or pastor serves as one among equals. It's a point that's often lost where uh, you, you look at some churches or church denominations that are ruled uh, by one man who stands over the, the rest of the church or the rest of the structure of his uh, denomination as, as essentially the boss. As the one who calls all the shots that's not a biblical pattern uh, now secondly notice uh, the Apostle Peter's uh, qualifications that that he gives up front for, for giving this command to the elders he says I exhort the elders but he doesn't say as an apostle or or as one who stands over you he says I exhort the elders as a fellow elder among you and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed. Now Peter might well have mentioned that uh, I exhort the elders as an apostle. he was an apostle. he was one directly commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a point that uh, the the Roman Catholic Church makes much of uh, where they, they claim that that uh, Peter is the head of the, the visible church on earth, uh, that he is the pope, as it were, and then uh, would appoint some subsequent pope, that there would always be one head, one pope over the church. But look at the way Peter speaks of himself. I exhort the elders as a fellow elder. Uh, now, in a moment, he, he's going to remind the, the elders of the difference between godly leadership and worldly leadership. Uh, and precisely one of those differences is that worldly leaders lord it over others. They boast in their authority. They, they coerce, they force others to comply where godly leaders lead by example. And so here, Peter is, is preaching Uh, or or he's practicing, rather, uh, what he's about to preach. So he identifies himself as a fellow elder, and you notice a a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now, it's interesting that Peter would say that, isn't it? Because Peter wasn't a witness to the sufferings of Christ. It's one of the most embarrassing moments of Peter's life that when Christ suffered, Peter ran away. Peter even denied the Lord Jesus, uh, saying, I do not know the man, So he didn't witness Christ's sufferings uh, directly, at least not, not uh, Christ's most intense uh, physical sufferings. But here, Peter's not actually referring to what he saw in the Lord Jesus as he suffered, uh, but he's a witness to Christ's sufferings in that he himself now, Peter, has partaken in the sufferings of Christ. That's what he said just a few verses earlier Rejoice, he says to the church, insofar as you share in the sufferings of Christ. Uh, And so Peter begins then, as he speaks to the elders, he begins by reminding them he's not writing to them, uh, encouraging them to suffer well, as one who writes from an ivory tower, one who's safe from the suffering himself. No, he's writing to them as one who, who knows what it means to suffer who's been there uh, and is still there uh, in the crucible of suffering. Uh, By this time, uh, as Peter writes this, Peter would have been a middle-aged or or perhaps even an older man, uh, and it wouldn't be long before Peter himself would be killed for the name of Christ, for being a disciple of Christ. Tradition has it that Peter was uh, not only crucified, uh, but that at Peter's request, he was crucified upside down because he counted himself not worthy to die uh, the way that his Lord Jesus died. Uh, but Peter knew then what it is to suffer. Uh, and he's not encouraging the elders then uh, to, to embrace their, their suffering while himself staying far away from it, uh, but as one who is in the trenches with them, uh, who's suffering together with them. Uh, Peter says, then he, he exhorts him as a fellow elder, uh, a fellow uh, witness of, of the sufferings of Christ, and also, he says, as a fellow partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. He, he's writing here as one who himself has his eyes fixed on the crown of glory that is, is at the end of the long hard road of suffering and he wants the elders then uh, to adopt that same mindset I will suffer with Christ that I may also be glorified with Christ so then uh, Peter is not lording it over uh, these elders uh, but giving them uh, these these qualifications I'm a fellow elder uh, I'm a fellow witness of the sufferings of Christ and I'm one who like you it has my my hope fixed upon uh, upon future glory Uh, So so then his command to them is, therefore, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Uh, This really is the the basic calling of every elder within the church. Shepherd the flock of God. Uh, You might remember, uh, in fact, that this is actually what the Lord Jesus told Peter specifically uh, when Peter was being restored to the Lord Jesus after having denied him uh, three times uh, during, during the, on the night of Jesus' death. Uh, later, after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus met with him, and three times again, uh, the Lord Jesus asks him, Peter, do you love me? And each time that Peter said, yes, Lord, uh, you, I love you, or, or yes, Lord, you know that I love you, what did Jesus say back to him? Do you remember? Jesus said, tend my sheep. If you love me, tend my sheep. I, uh, Peter then is writing here to the, to the elders, uh, if you love the Lord Jesus, tend his sheep. Tend the flock of God that is among you. It's ironic, it so happens that uh, both uh, within our consistory meetings and within our council meetings right now, uh, we're working through, uh, we always work through, through books that uh, encourage us to, to continue carrying out our calling, to continue growing in our understanding of God of that calling, Uh, and and actually both of the books we're we're working through in both separate groups uh, have to do with this basic idea of shepherding. Uh, One of them is The Shepherd Leader by Timothy Whitmer, a wonderful book, Uh, and the other is With a Shepherd's Heart by by John Sidema. Uh, And both of them are making the same basic point here, that the basic task of every elder is to be a shepherd of God's flock. Uh, And that's an important biblical term. Uh, A shepherd is different from a boss. A shepherd is different from a manager. Uh, A shepherd is different from uh, a chief executive. Uh, A shepherd is more than a decision maker for the church. A shepherd cares for the sheep. A shepherd loves the sheep. Uh, scripture, in fact, uses this language of shepherding all over Scripture uh, and, and uses this language in particular as a way of speaking about God's care for uh, His sheep. Uh, psalm 23, the most famous uh, song in all of the, the Psalter, uh, the, Lord, uh, the, the psalm says, "...the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want." Uh, And this idea has has clearly been very close to Peter's heart as well. Uh, In fact, it's not the first time Peter has mentioned it in this letter. If you remember, back in chapter 2, verse verse 25, he says to the church, You were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So that's his exhortation then to the elders as well. If this is what God is to you, uh, a shepherd and overseer of your soul, then you also go and shepherd God's sheep. Uh, So I want to give this encouragement to the the elders here in particular. Uh, Notice that the words that Peter uses here in verse 1 are are the very same words that he used of God, uh, of of the Lord Jesus, uh, in in chapter 2, verse 25, shepherd and overseer. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Same, Same two words there. What that means uh, is that your calling as elder uh, is even in all of your imperfections to do for those in your care what the Lord Jesus does for you. Uh, He's not calling you to do something or to be something that he is not first for you. As the shepherd and overseer of your soul, so he calls you to tend his flock the same way. Now, a shepherd's job, uh, if you think of, of, of an actual physical shepherd who cares for, for sheep, a shepherd's job is, is, number one, protect the sheep from, from danger, and, and number two, lead the sheep to green pastures. Those are kind of the two main uh, pieces of the job. Uh, and, and Christ speaks of, of his shepherding over his sheep in, in much the same way. He protects his sheep from wolves, uh, and he leads his sheep pasture he feeds them he tends them Uh, so the calling for a shepherd of the church is the same Uh, watch out for threats watch out for enemies watch out for anything that might harm the sheep and then lead them, lead them time and time again to green pasture, to the, to the Word of God, uh, to, to the riches of God's grace in Christ, to the hope of the gospel. That's their life. That's where uh, the sheep will, will, will find their strength and will thrive. Uh, and, and, and the righteousness that flows out of, uh, out, out of the Christian life must flow out of those green pastures of the hope of the gospel, That's where you want the sheep to be. Uh, So as Christ also shepherds you uh, and watches over you, uh, Christ calls you, do the same for my sheep. Lead them to green pasture and protect them and guard them from danger. Now having said that, Peter does make some uh, important qualifications about the kind of leadership to which Christ calls the elders of of the church, and we can kind of distinguish this under the terms of of godly leadership versus worldly leadership. Uh, first, he says, "Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you." And the reality is, as as I'm sure many of us know, the work of an elder is hard. Uh, And it it demands sacrifices of time uh, and energy. Uh, And it can be very hard at times for for elders to to joyfully embrace that calling. It can be very easy to to adopt an attitude that says, I'll do it because I have to do it. Uh, But Peter urges us, don't go that way. Now there's, there's something good, we, we can acknowledge there's something good about a reluctant leader uh, insofar as they're not, they're not seizing the position for themselves uh, out of, out of uh, selfish ambition or, or self-interest. Uh, you see many uh, wonderful examples of this in the life of the church as well. You, you might think here of John Calvin even, um, the, one of the greatest theologians of, of the church uh, through, through all of the church history. But Calvin's ambition was not to be a pastor. Uh, He wanted to be a private scholar to work uh, quietly by himself writing and publishing Uh, And and Calvin had to be uh, confronted, Uh, it's a a great story if you haven't uh, read about it, he had to be confronted by another reformer, a certain William Farrell, uh, who as he was, as Calvin was passing through Geneva, uh, Farrell confronted him knowing that Geneva needed a pastor, uh, and Farrell even had to invoke curses, uh, the curses of God upon Calvin, uh, if Calvin would not stop and be the pastor there in Geneva. And so Calvin did, reluctantly. uh, But once he did commit to to serving that congregation, uh, he served willingly, uh, even though at times it was a very, very difficult job for which he received much uh, much uh, criticism and opposition. Uh, So so there's something good about this, uh, a reluctant leader who's not seizing uh, the position for himself. And yet, as the scriptures remind us uh, often, God loves the cheerful giver. Now, if that's true for financial giving, how much more is that not, would that not be true for the giving of our time, our energy, uh, and our, our pouring ourselves out in love for the church of God? It doesn't mean the work of, of an elder is always going to be enjoyable, but it does mean it ought to be embraced eagerly and done out of love. God loves the cheerful giver. And God loves a willing shepherd uh, who tends the sheep because he loves God and he loves God's people. Secondly, Peter also says, tend the flock of God not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Now, sadly, this has been a, a, a common problem in the church's history, uh, that there, almost wherever the church exists, There are going to be those who want to seize positions of authority uh, to to be elders or pastors within the church, but not for for reasons of love, but rather for reasons of, of personal financial gain. Uh, this was a, a huge problem, in fact, already during the, Old, or during the New Testament times, uh, during the days of the apostles. Uh, you, you read about Paul, the apostle Paul's conflicts with the uh, so-called super apostles, men who designated themselves to be apostles and went around from church to church, seizing authority, coercing others into submission, uh, and doing this for financial gain. Uh, and if you read the writings of, of the church fathers during the next several centuries, you can see this, this remained a huge problem within the church. Uh, wherever the church went, uh, there would spring up uh, either either churches within the, the, the uh, Catholic church or, or otherwise little sects that uh, sprung up around the church uh, led by people who were in it for their own financial gain. Uh, One of the most uh, well-known ancient Christian documents is called the Didache. It was written uh, during the first century still, during the apostolic age, uh, and and it contains just a list of of principles for for the church to live by uh, for Christian living and as well for, for church government. Uh, And it has a long section, the Didache has a long section devoted uh, to how to combat uh, um, itinerant preachers who went from church to church trying to gain uh, authority for themselves and and trying to get financial uh, support from, from those churches. Uh, who are men who are unaccountable to the church uh, and who are in it just for the money. This is a big problem uh, that the church had to face during those first centuries, uh, and really it has remained a problem throughout the history of the church. It's one of the great problems that the reformers faced as well during the days of the uh, the Reformation of the 1500s that oftentimes many of the, the local parishes were sold by the, by the uh, leadership of the Roman Catholic Church. They were sold to the highest bidder. Uh, you could uh, become a, a priest or a bishop uh, by, by purchasing that for yourself, uh, and then you would receive an income through that. Well, that's not what the leadership of the church ought to be. Uh, this is really a perennial problem wherever the church exists uh, where where you see uh, these churches springing up that are in it for financial gain you see this, uh, I recall seeing this so often uh, in Brazil you see these uh, pastors driving fancy cars or dressed in luxurious expensive suits walking around uh, while the people that they supposedly minister to uh, are still left in abject poverty that is not what, what it is to be if you are to be a leader within the church. Uh, And it's something that Paul says is shameful. Notice that he says, not for shameful gain. Those who do that ought to be ashamed of themselves. Uh, Scripture, uh, to be clear, Scripture is very clear about the propriety of of financially supporting those who labor for the sake of the gospel. That's not what uh, Peter's writing against. There are some... Uh, groups that have taken this to an extreme, groups like the Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, for example, that say, uh, therefore, we don't pay our pastors. We don't pay any uh, anyone who works in the church. Uh, they make no income, uh, and that way we prevent the problem of, of, of shameful gain. Uh, they, they claim that you're selling the gospel if you make a living uh, by, by preaching the gospel. Well, that's not what Peter's saying, and, and, and for them, their argument is really with, with scripture. Uh, w- scripture, which says the laborer is worthy of, of his wages. It's something that the New Testament clearly taught. Uh, however, the, the point here that Peter's making is the gospel ought never to be a means of profit. Uh, the New Testament is, 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 in fact, replete with warnings against church leaders who use the gospel for financial gain. One of the qualifications for elders, in fact, if you go to 1 Timothy, uh, one of the qualifications for elders is that they be free from the love of money. That's 1 Timothy 3, Uh, as well as free from greed, uh, Paul writes in in Titus chapter 1. Uh, There are plenty of examples in this world of pastors who've used their position for, for financial gain, and it always comes at the end of the day, it always comes at the expense of the gospel. It discredits the gospel itself. Uh, And it's shameful, uh, Peter says here. It's shameful uh, to treat the grace of God, the the free riches of the gospel, as a means for personal financial gain. Rather, Christ teaches us, a servant is not greater than his master. Uh, And if Christ himself came, as he says, to serve and not to be served, so that must also be the heart of an elder, to give, not to take. Uh, as the Lord Jesus says, is more blessed to give than to receive. Uh, in so doing, we, we are participating in the work of Christ, uh, in the love and commitment of Christ to, to his people. So, so Peter says, not for, for financial gain. And then finally, Peter says, also not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And once again, we can see that Peter has, has really just taken to heart the, the instruction of, of the Lord Jesus himself. Peter here is speaking as one who's been uh, faithfully and well-discipled by the Lord Jesus. Uh, Jesus uh, it says in the Gospels, Jesus called to them and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, And their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Peter here is speaking as one who's taken that lesson to heart, Uh, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Now sadly, uh, not only are are, uh, leaders within the the Christian church attracted to those positions uh, for financial gain, uh, but but some are also attracted because they believe it to be a place of of power and authority. Uh, Christ teaches us clearly it ought not to be that way. Uh, The church uh, must resist such men who come into this position for the sake of of lording it over others. Uh, Those those people are to be kept out of leadership. Uh, Even though the elders, it's true, the elders do carry authority within the church. They're not to use that authority to control, but rather to lead by word and by example. Uh, Those who are in their care need to hear through them the voice of the great shepherd, The voice of Christ uh, who calls them to green pasture, who calls them to life. That's true. Shepherds do sometimes have the role of of having to correct straying sheep. Uh, And and it's true that sheep can be obstinate. They can insist on on going astray. But in in general, sheep will trust a good shepherd. They won't trust a shepherd uh, who is untrustworthy, but they will trust a good shepherd uh, who they can perceive is in it for their good, who's there to protect them and to help them. Uh, the sheep know the shepherd's voice. They follow him because they know that he cares for them and because they desire his leadership. They know that, where, uh, that, that he knows where green pastures can be found. So, so although it may happen that, you know, the shepherd has to use his rod, he does carry a rod, the shepherd may have to uh, correct at times. He may have to put his foot down and say, uh, no, this is not a direction that, that, that we can allow you to go. Uh, and in doing so, he's being, being faithful, being obedient to, to Christ. But if that's the norm, if that's what the shepherd is always doing, if that's the only way the shepherd knows how to guide the sheep to green pasture then something is wrong uh, with that relationship. Peter says, not domineering, but being examples to the flock. The elders are called to be examples of faith, of love, of purity, uh, of courage, and of wisdom, and and of gospel grace. Uh, And once again, what Peter's writing here to the elders should not be received among the elders as sort of an added burden but really as a relief as an encouragement your job is to be uh, is to do for for those in your care nothing more than what Christ himself does for you uh, therefore keep your focus on your primary callings you're calling as a Christian you're calling as a husband you're calling as a father lead by example uh, keep your primary focus on your own walk of life living as children of God in this world uh, and in the church. And, and if you do that, then much of your calling of, uh, as an elder will take care of itself. Be faithful first, in other words, and only then call others to the same faith. Forgive first and then call others to be forgiving. Uh, pay attention to your faith and it will be much easier to shepherd others in their faith. And remember again, Christ does not call you to be such a shepherd that he is not for you in the first place. And so we can see then, uh, as Peter lays this out, we can see what a difference there is between godly leadership, between shepherds in the church and, and worldly leadership, those who, who assert authority over others. Uh, thirdly, Peter reminds us there's also reward uh, for those who serve faithfully. Verse 4, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Isn't that wonderful encouragement? Uh, On top of, on top of the riches of grace that you've already received in Christ, eternal life, the hope of glory, forgiveness, reconciliation to God. On top of that, God wants you to know he does not forget your service. Uh, He does not forget the acts of love the sacrifices, uh, the, the, the times where you've had to feed the sheep and correct the sheep and guide and protect the sheep from danger. God does not forget those acts of service. He doesn't forget the, the hours that you may pour into your work as, as an elder. Uh, and he will, re, he, he will richly reward those who love his bride with the same love that he has for them. Now Peter also writes to the congregation. Uh, he says uh, verse five, likewise you who are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves all of you with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble uh, now when when Peter addresses uh, where he says, likewise, those who are younger, uh, he's not only referring to those who are uh, literally younger in age, uh, but this, this term should be seen as sort of the counterpart to the elders. Uh, the, when he writes to the elders, uh, he, he, he writes what he writes, and now he's, he's addressing the rest of the congregation as, likewise, you who are, are younger. Uh, this is, he can do this because generally, uh, in general, elders are, are older men, hence the name uh, elders. Uh, there may be exceptions to that rule, but generally elders are those who, who have some, some life wisdom uh, that, that they can uh, carry with them. And so Peter now addresses the rest of the congre- congregation as, as you who are younger. Uh, uh, and, of course, we should recognize that includes that includes the elders themselves, because the elders themselves, too, are to be subject to uh, their elders. Now, this is why each of the elders within our own congregation, too, each of the elders have their own elder to whom they must give, a, give an account, who will shepherd them, who will guide them. Uh, myself, too, as pastor, I have an elder to whom I must give account. And he tends to ask some some hard questions at times, too. Hey, this is good. This is good for for us. Uh, no one is to be in authority, is the principle here, unless they are also under authority and primarily under the authority of, of Jesus Christ. Uh, so he urges all of you... Uh, what does it mean, uh, during a season of trial, to, to entrust yourself to, to your, your faithful creator while doing good? Uh, for the elders, that means in particular, tend the sheep. And for the rest of us, that means, be subject to the elders. Make their job an easy job, a joyful job. Uh, and humility is the key here, uh, both for elders and, and, and for the congregation. Uh, notice uh, when he uses, when he speaks to the congregation, he says, likewise, you who are younger, which means there's actually something uh, parallel in, in what drives the work of an elder and, and what uh, drives the attitude of submission in the congregation. Uh, there's, there's a similar root behind both of, of those things. Uh, what it means is that ultimately uh, both parties are doing the same thing. And what is that? They are humbling themselves, he says, verse uh, 5, humbling themselves under the mighty hand of God. As elders, that's going to look like one thing. As, as the rest of the congregation, that may look like something else. But what it comes down to is we are humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God and trusting our souls to, their, to our faithful creator while doing good. Uh, humility, uh, then, is ultimately putting ourselves in the proper place, under the authority of God. It means obeying Him. It means fearing Him. Uh, as elders, it means uh, obeying His calling to lead uh, sacrificially with, with strength and conviction for the sake of the flock. That's what it looks like to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Uh, fearing Him, uh, for, for the elders here, means caring about His opinion uh, and not giving in to the fear of man or the desire for man's approval and for the congregation fearing him humbling yourself under his hand means being subject to the elders that he has placed over you it means showing them honor uh, as those who are are given by god and and then receiving their leadership with thankfulness to god Uh, It is God who gives your elder to you, uh, and God is the one who has chosen that elder to be your elder. Receive him then with gratitude and thankfulness to God. Honor your elders, love them, pray for them, and make their task a joy. So then Peter urges us, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility, for God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Uh, you might notice that Peter is, is quoting there that God, gives grace to the, uh, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It is quoting there from Proverbs uh, 11 again. You notice how Peter seems to be, uh, as he's writing this letter, sort of simultaneously uh, working his way through, uh, through the book of, of Proverbs, quoting from chapters 10 and, and 11. It's something the Apostle James uh, tells us as well. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Consider how that transforms both the work of an elder and the attitude of submission on the part of the congregation. Uh, If we say no to pride, we turn from pride and humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, it changes how we do our work, and it changes how we receive uh, the work of of those who labor for us. God opposes the proud. One pastor has observed, and I think he's right, uh, that there are all kinds of sin that can get you stuck in the mud, but it, it is pride that will keep you there, and it is pride that will, also, that will ultimately drown you there. Uh, you can get stuck in the mud, but if you're humble, you can receive the help that God provides, the, the leaders that God sets over you, to get you through that sin and out of that sin. But if you're too proud to receive it, you will drown in that sin. Apart from pride, we drown in, in our sin. It's pride, uh, after all, that caused Adam and Eve in the first place to commit sin against God, setting themselves, as it were, on the throne of God, uh, saying, uh, listening to the voice of of Satan, saying, uh, "This this will make you equals with God." It's pride that caused uh, Cain to envy Abel and and ultimately kill him. Uh, it, it's it's. Pride, in fact, Scripture teaches us it's pride that caused Satan to fall uh, from the angels in the first place. So we should, we should learn to see pride uh, as not only something that is uh, opposed to God and that God opposes, but pride is even something that is demonic. Uh, it is a work of Satan, uh, pride, uh, and, and the refusal uh, to be humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Isn't this so true? Uh, those of you who have been through seasons of, of where you've committed sin and, and then received help uh, in, in getting out of that sin, uh, you know this. There's so much grace for those who humble themselves under the mighty hand of God. There's just an abundance of grace for you. Now, the opportunities for for repentance, for growth, for change uh, are abundantly there if you're willing to humble yourself under God's hand. Uh, He not only forgives the sins of those who in humility confess their sins, uh, but he renews them and changes them in ways that before they they could not have even imagined. He gives them his spirit. He leads them uh, from one degree of maturity and wisdom to another if they have the humility to be led. Uh, Humility, uh, it, it is said, is the greatest gift to possess because it's the place from which all other gifts are received. It's the humble, you see this in the book of Proverbs, it's the humble who receive wisdom. The proud are unwilling to receive wisdom and therefore unable to learn. But the humble is the humble who will see the face of God. It's the humble who learn the path of repentance and change uh, the proud when they see their sin uh, or they they refuse to recognize it for what it is and therefore they cannot leave it so humility is a gift uh, and it's the gift from which all other gifts uh, are are received uh, but it is a gift we should recognize that only god can give uh, the proud uh, hear the call to humility but Uh, in their pride, are too proud to receive it. Uh, They don't believe they they need it or they believe that they already have it. But to those to whom God gives, that gift of humility, uh, they know what a precious gift it is because all other gifts are given with it. So you elders, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Fear Him and He will make you fearless. Love His flock with his love, and he will be both your shepherd and theirs. And you congregation, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. He's not speaking here to the person next to you or in the person uh, in in, uh, some other place in the congregation. He's speaking here to you. Uh, He's not saying this for nothing either. He's saying it because you need to hear it. He's opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Amen. Let's respond to God's word.